While it was kind of a gloomy weekend, it was a jam-packed weekend with Winnipeg Jets Fan Fest and Nuit Blanche on Saturday, bringing our city to life. And another cool thing that happened over the weekend, the Manitoba Bisons made history, specifically their kicker made history. We speak to both the coach and to that kicker. RWB, the Royal Winnipeg Ballet, Snow White starts this week. We are joined by Julian Pelicano from the RWB and WSO. And with the 649 gold ball jackpot at $68 million and guaranteed to go on Wednesday, what are your outlandish lottery dreams? I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Monday, September 25th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. An estimated crowd of 1,000 gathered on the grounds of the legislature this past weekend in an outpouring of support for Winnipeg's LGBTQ2 plus community. Global's Catherine Dornian was there to gauge the mood and reaction. Winnipeggers flew their colors high at the legislature as an enormous crowd turned out to support young trans people. Even organizers like James Webster were surprised by the amount of people here to receive their message. Children deserve confidential spaces to truly be themselves so that they may safely experiment and discover their identities regardless of their family's belief and reaction to them. This comes on the heels of protests that sprung up in major cities across Canada on Wednesday called the One Million March for Children. The group was supporting policies recently enacted in New Brunswick and Saskatchewan, which require children to get parental consent to use their preferred names and pronouns. The event drew counter-protests, and teachers marching today want to keep similar policies out of Manitoba. I'm here for my students because they shouldn't have to be dealing with the same stuff that we dealt with as kids. We thought we were further along. NDP MLA Izoma Asaguara, who became the first non-binary person elected to the Manitoba legislature in 2019, says the support they saw today is extremely encouraging. Look at the numbers here today. This is community. This is community. This is Manitoba. After the rally, supporters marched from the legislature towards the Museum of Human Rights, coming from all walks of life to support their peers. It's just a difficult time to um, be concerned about your gender and questioning stuff. It feels like there's a lot of hate out there. I'm here because I'm trans and I would like to support others who are in the closet or unsupported in their families. We live in a country that's free and safe, so everyone should be safe. If a kid can't feel safe at school, then that's what is school for, right? Hoping to remind LGBTQ2 youth that they're not alone. Catherine Dornian, Global News. Those pictures that came out of that rally yesterday were tremendous to see, and I really hope that anyone who was feeling last week the opposite way, like not united, wondering what was going on in their community, if you weren't there, that you saw that and saw that outpouring of support. Like we had a lot of family members of people who have trans kids in their lives write in last week and say, can you imagine how it felt for my child to see sort of that divisiveness in that one protest last week? And so I'm hoping for the sake of those kids, they saw what happened yesterday and can walk away with some hope. I love it when we get together as a community, regardless of the cause, Brett, in support of something as opposed to protesting against things. It uh, is a nice change of, of tone in my mind, regardless of what it is people are rallying in support of. It makes our, our community feel a, a lot healthier in my mind. Yeah, and just looking at the pictures for that as well, I know that the the, were, the estimate is around 1,000, over 1,000, but it looked like, I don't know, a couple of thousand. They were like when I was driving through as the, the rally had ended, and I guess they, they marched to the Forks, and so they were scattered all through. They were like they were, I was going over the Osborne Bridge at 145, and there were people scattered everywhere downtown who clearly had been to this rally. So, uh, yeah, it looked like it was a really big deal. So you can read more and see some pictures at cjob.com. And Despite the less than perfect weather over the weekend, it wasn't bad. It was just a little gloomy. But, uh, hey, Manitobans gathered by the thousands for different events. Yeah, we talked about at 615, the LGBTQ 
2 rally that took place on Sunday. We had the Jets Fan Fest on Saturday. We saw Nuit Blanche Saturday night. The pictures from that were amazing. And what stood out, you know, you talked about just after six spread about how the sun, like the light, makes a difference. And when I looked at the pictures from Nuit Blanche, all I could think of is that's what we need more of in our downtown is those kind of light installations that bring that sense of mystery and fun, but also, you know, safety and protection, Greg, like kind of a cool way to keep your night skies lit up and, and maybe draw more people down there. So I thought it was a really cool weekend all around. And we even played in the mud with the kids and that was fun too, despite <laughs> the, the weather. So there's nothing wrong with that. Well, good for you. Uh, one of the boys uh, had to drive them uh, uh, south of downtown. And so I took the opportunity to come through downtown Saturday night on my own. I thought maybe I'd jump out of the car and uh, partake and, and take a look at some of the installations Saturday night. I couldn't find a place to park. It was absolutely bonkers downtown, and I mean that in the best possible way. People on bikes, people with strollers, people with uh, babies on their chest, kids, families, all out and about, music, light, and just a genuine sense of energy in the downtown. And, and I said it last week, and I'll stand by this. People, I think, are looking for an excuse to come downtown, to celebrate our community, to come together under the right circumstances. People will flock downtown, and we saw that. A prime example of that on Saturday night. So uh, kudos to the organizers and to anyone that went out to Nuit Blanche on Saturday night. Would love to hear from you. What were your impressions? Uh, what drew you down there? Will you be going again next year? 204 780 6868. And of course, Friday, we were at the Hockey for All Center broadcasting live as the Jets got their training camp underway Thursday. Friday, there were all sorts of people down uh, checking out Jets practices uh, throughout the, the morning. But on Saturday, thousands of people for the, the annual Fan Fest. And the Winnipeg Jets again knocked it out of the park with a terrific event. So many young people, so many uh, people that uh, clearly love this team. I'm speaking with Jay Richardson, who does the, of course, is the in arena voice of the Jets and and works so hard. And that was a big part of the event on Saturday. Just it's clear that uh, there are lots of people excited and in love with their Winnipeg Jets. And uh, the Jets unveiled a special jersey on Saturday afternoon to honor the 1948 RCAF Olympic champions. Uh, Mark Chipman spoke before they unveiled the jersey about the connection between the current Jet logo and uh, the Canadian Armed Forces and the Air Force in particular, the RCAF, and then uh, the, the jersey. And baby blue, red, you got a winner for me. You combine those two colors. So uh, it was a, a special weekend, special day for the, the Jets at FanFest. And as far as the, the play goes, the hockey, as Greg mentioned, the Jets began training camp Thursday at the Hockey for All Center. Yesterday afternoon, several players with roster spots secured, traveled to Edmonton with several players trying to make an impression on the coaching staff, facing off with a similarly constructed Oilers roster. Yeah, it was a fairly entertaining game featuring some terrific work from Jets goaltender Colin Delia. Let's take a listen to some of the sounds of the game with Paul Edmonds. Puck is dropped and it's showtime from Edmonton, Alberta. It's bouncing off some insteps and some shit pads. Now it's moved ahead. Tony Nato's got a breakaway. Tony Nato moves in, shoots and scores! Dominic Tony Nato had a nice little play at center ice to move the puck ahead and just with a burst of speed got by everybody, walked in on a breakaway all alone from center ice and he beats the goaltender Olivier Rodrigue along the ice and it's 1-0 Winnipeg. Nugent Hopkins shoots, stop rebounding. Zach Hyman had a career year last year. He gets his team on the board, it's a power play goal and we're tied at one. Oilers quick up again, hopped over a stick. Back to grab it is Tyrell Bauer. Played it around for Nina Ryder. Tried to fish it off the boards. Couldn't get it out. Kept in the line. Darnell Nurse. Rister toward the net. Put it over the net. Came back off the back wall. They're banging away at it. And a good chance there between the legs by Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And I think Delia might have prevented that. Thwarted that by getting a piece of his equipment on it. After it goes Mallott. He had some problems with it, but got it into where the slot. Here's Cole Perfetti for Milan shooting, and it's kicked away. Great save by Rodriguez on the far side. There's the vision of Cole Perfetti right there. 
Now out in front, Nugent Hopkins shoots. Blockered away by Delia. Picks up the puck, left-handed shot. Swings in, waits, goes to the backhand. Robbed with a glove save by Delia. Perfetti will pick it up. Fourth straight left-handed shot. Moves right in, right down the middle. And shoots and scores. So in the end, the Jets get that victory in a shootout. 2-1 the final. The same two teams with most will be some different players will face one another again tonight this time at Canada Life Center of course our coverage gets underway Brett at five with the Mid-Canada Fasteners pregame show with Kelly Moore and his cast of thousands and then it's Paul Edmonds and Mitchell Clinton with playnow.com Jets hockey at seven o'clock right here on your radio home of the Winnipeg Jets 680 CJOB and if you missed Friday's show or portions of Friday's show, you can either A, find it in the audio vault or in the podcast at cjob.com. But we got to chat with uh, Mitchell Clinton, the new uh, analyst on our Jets broadcast, and Jamie Thomas, the outgoing analyst who's still with the club, still in the organization, just uh, stepping back uh, from that role uh, for personal reasons. And uh, we also talked to Rick Bonus, the head coach of the Jets at 735, and Kevin Day off the GM at 835. Yeah, I got some feedback on those interviews over the weekend. In fact, some people saying, you know, leave the hard-hitting questions to the hockey guys on the hockey broadcast and the journalists who cover the team on a regular basis. And People appreciated seeing a little bit of a different side of both Rick Bonus and Kevin Shovel Day off. So I hope that's how you th- saw it. And how'd Except you see? For, it? I never got to ask Chevy what he puts on his brisket, what that he gets from Costco for his <laughs> smoker. Yeah, that's that was true. My follow up: more time. We need more time for those those questions. Yeah, right? we need uh, fewer commercials, uh, more time, <laughs> and uh, maybe just like a half an hour, just uninterrupted with Kevin Shovel Day off. And I'd be curious to know what you guys think of that uh, that jersey unveil. They'll wear it three times this year. The special jersey. What were your impressions of it? 204-780-6868. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, the headline at CJOB.com. Record $68 million Lotto 649 jackpot guaranteed to be won on next draw. And that is happening this Wednesday, so the jackpot is $68 million for the gold ball. And in case you're not familiar with this, uh, they made changes last fall where the classic draw, which is your six numbers, uh, the, that, that is always, the jackpot for that is always $5 million. And then the gold ball draw, it's a second draw on your ticket, and it's uh, like a 10-digit number. And what they do is they have 29 white balls and a gold ball. And if the gold ball gets pulled, then that's the big, big jackpot. And they are down to the gold ball. They like they pull out a white ball every time. And once the gold ball gets one, they reset. Well, they haven't. They've pulled all 29 white balls. So on Wednesday, the gold ball is coming out, which means somebody theoretically should walk away with sixty eight million dollars unless the number doesn't get called or whatever. Or nobody has the winning number and then they got to carry it over. I don't know. Anyway. $68 $68 million set to go on Wednesday in the 649. So get your ticket. And the question this morning is, what's the most outlandish thing you've ever dreamed about spending lottery winnings on? And Because I, I don't know if you're like me. Now I'm much calmer with what I would do <laughs> with that money. Very very boring. Like, well, I should go see my financial advisor. And, <laughs> you know, figure out, you know, I, I want to share the money with some people and maybe donate some to charity and maybe invest in some businesses. But when I was younger, it was like, I'm going to buy the biggest house and it's going to have a massive pool with a basketball court and a golf course. And I don't, uh, anyway. So, have you ever thought like that? 204-780-6868. Ross Levitan in for Cam Poitras this morning. Why don't we start with you, sir? I mean, a little part three in the back would be the Where's your microphone? Why is his microphone off for, Jay? Uh, how about I now? Got you got me? There we go. I was okay. going to say a little par three in the backyard wouldn't be a bad idea, Brad. I will say that. Well, a buddy of mine has a yard big enough to do that, but uh, <laughs> he lives out in West St. Paul. Uh, so that's that's not out of the realm of possibility, but it's not a priority either. That's awesome. Yeah, I just searched, and apparently it's not taxable either. So you're getting $68 million. Correct. Ooh. It's not like in the States where Uncle Sam takes his chunk. No. Yeah, I mean, not that it's outlandish, but you obviously want to take care of everybody if, if you're getting that much money. Uh, okay, but what's the outlandish thing? Oh, 
I mean, yeah, a couple of years ago, you probably, w- I probably wouldn't make it to the end of the week, but uh, <laughs> I, I'd probably take take uh, take some time and, and travel. I think is is uh, travel very well. Let's put it that way. And uh, yeah, I'd probably blow through at least a couple million that way. Really quickly, yeah, you really quickly. Yeah, where would you like to go? I think I, I'm. I mean, I'm obviously a big hockey guy. I'd probably try to try to hit every arena in, in North America. There you go. Would be would be that's a one the right thing. answer. And that would also be pretty pretty silly. You could probably spread that out, but I'd probably no. try to do it in one year. Yes. Just you know, go all in. Maybe get get a nice ride to do, and then do it road trip style, like there a nice go. luxury. Yeah. SUV. All right, we're working through this. Yeah. No, no, no. We need <laughs> a bus. Call. I mean, you need a bus. Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There, there's my call. And then I'll keep keep uh, keep a few pennies in the bank too. Sarah, what about you? I'd also probably do some travel, and my place of choice would be Greece. I'd hit Athens, Santorini, Mykonos. Probably grab a private jet in there. There's enough money for that if it's 68 million. But uh, some something else I think is doable if you had some of that money even i'd love to buy like a big house and uh like make my own like library and just have those huge ladders oh, that yeah. you like see in yes. the movies and like people like swing across on i just think those are so great oh yeah that's a, that's the sign <laughs> of luxury right there yeah. when you've got the, the the library ladder in your home you know yeah. you're rolling i've read you so should then many add, books like, you should add like a secret passage. Oh yeah, you know what I mean, like where That'd it flips open, there. and then you have a stairway downstairs, and where you do your experiments or something, like just something random. What like kind that. of experiment? I don't care. Like just get down there and start boiling weird chemicals. To get, doesn't matter to me. Just blow up my house. Yeah, my yeah. new house. Um, oh, that's great, Sarah. Uh, Forte back in the saddle after Friday off. What about you? I would like to have condos kind of like all over the world. You know, like Paris, mm. Italy. New York and just go, go from one place to another. You know, always having a place to stay. I think that'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. And then you let your friends stay there when you're not there, right? Sure. Like your <laughs> colleagues, your former work colleagues and stuff. All right. That we would can be work nice. something you, out. Yes. For yeah. you, yes. All right. Yeah. But doesn't uh, Michael Wilbon from Off the Record on TSN, doesn't he have properties scattered throughout the United States? I don't know. Well, yeah, I think he does. I think pretty sure Smash Gordon has told me that before. He's got he's got homes in a couple of cities That's just because he's smart. always traveling. Might as well. Yeah, for yeah. his sports uh, coverage. Um, what that show is excellent, by the way. Four thirty. PTI. Yeah. Oh, oh, pardon the interruption. What did I say? Off the record. That's an old. Uh, That's Landsberg. Yeah. Pardon me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Mixed up my sportsings. I didn't even hear you say off the record. I just heard uh, Wilbon. I get excited. I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, Loren, what about fan. you? I think I'd need to have, like, and I'm not into fur, but I think it'd be awesome to have some sort of matching fur outfits for the family or some sort of, you know, like designer wear that's <laughs> ridiculous, that it doesn't look good, but you're all wearing it. I'd love to get like a crazy bedazzled collar for Moose that's just, he'll wreck and then eat within 24 hours and it will have cost like millions. Um, and then I would love, love to go on like a luxury, awesome, but it could be like eco-friendly and all the rest, safari. Like our family had spent six months in Zimbabwe when I was in grade five and I'd just give anything to take everyone, all like 20 of us now back and all have our own tents and elephants. And I don't know, I don't know what comes with that. Like, but that would be where I'd spend that money. And then, of course, like a house in the Seychelles with an infinity pool that makes no sense. You know, those kinds <laughs> the of things. The infinity pool. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There's another sign of Richie Rich, the, the infinity pool. Mackling, what about you? Well, I've always said $3 million was kind of my max. That's what I needed. But I've uh, just gone on to the MLS here in Winnipeg, and the most expensive house in Winnipeg right now is $5.5 million, Oh, yeah? And it's got an indoor pool. There you go. Where's so that? I'm in... South Tuxedo. Okay. I'm in. So I'm breaking the bank. I'm breaking my, it's inflationary times. So my numbers. <laughs> your your lottery fantasy has gone yeah, up due to yeah, inflation. Of my <laughs> reality part of my fantasy is going up. Uh, I've always said I'll pay off all the mortgages of the people close to me in mm-hmm. my life and then go from there. And I always wanted one of those uh, Ferraris. Like uh, Magnum had was it the three hundred eight? Okay, the GTS. Uh, yeah, I want one of those. I don't care what age it is. I want one of those. And I guess I would finally have to get my MGB running as well. So there you go. There's there's <laughs> the there's the fantasy. 
And then you need to get one of those turntables for the car. Yes. So that it turns your car on the driveway. Yes. Yeah. I'll show you the house oh. I designed to build in Minnedosa, Loren. It actually, on my dad's property in Minnedosa, I was going to have like a driveway that drove down like below grade mm-hmm. and into my basement with a glass partition with lights and everything with a turntable for the MG, like living art. Would That's you how I really want, it. of all people, a glass wall for people to see inside your garage? No, no, not from the outside. Only on the inside. <laughs> oh, Only you on can the look inside. out. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb on Wednesday, the Lotto 649 Gold Ball jackpot is $68 million and it is guaranteed to go. At least it's guaranteed that they'll pull the gold ball because out of the 30 balls that are in that draw, only the gold ball remains. The 29 white balls have been pulled. So we're asking you this morning, before we give away Boo at the Zoo tickets, what is your outlandish lottery dream? And from our friend Mr. Chris Rutkowski, what does Chris say? My big lottery dream by Manitoba town like Plum Cooley and rename it Rutkowskiville. I didn't know Plum Cooley was on the market, but I understand where Chris is coming from on this one. <laughs> it's almost like a, it's a good idea if you could take a thing like Shit's Creek, you know, like make your own creek, like reinvigorate the small town that might need some help. I don't know if Plum Cooley does, but there'll be towns out there that would love that. Yeah, I wonder what the the good people in Plum Cooley think of this idea that they've been singled out for for fantastical <laughs> lottery purchase by one of our listeners. <laughs> Peter Warren used to pick on Plum Cooley all the time back in the day. Really? On the days of the action line. Oh, yes. Plum Cooley was his go-to uh, small-town Manitoba locale. Oh, for interesting. For a variety of uh, reasons and examples. So tell us about your fate, your outlandish lottery fantasy for a chance to win concert tickets we're announcing this show at 905 and then we'll pick a winner for that show at 915 we also have tickets to give away for air supply coming to the centennial concert hall on october 2nd so we'll give those away after 845 and right now we have tickets to give away for boo at the zoo two tickets for boo at the zoo assiniboine park zoo that runs october 6th to the 30th let's take caller number two for boo at the zoo It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Going to talk more derelict vacant buildings in a moment. But before that, reminder that we have tickets to give away. We gave away Boo at the Zoo tickets. We'll find out who won those in a moment. But we have concert tickets to give away for a show we're announcing at 9.05. We're asking you, what would your outlandish lottery purchase be? What does Paul say, Loren? Outlandish purchase from a big lottery win? Well, I would be more about the experience with friends. We'd grab a fully chartered commercial airliner, take it to some party destination for a week like Vegas, Amsterdam, the Caribbean, have all accommodations paid, and as everyone gets off the plane, hand them a $10,000 bank-wrapped pad of bills for fun money. couple events in there, too, sports or concerts, just to make sure everyone hangs out as a group. That sounds like a good time, Paul. Well thought out. Tell us your story for a chance to win. We'll pick a winner at 9.15, and again, we'll announce that concert at 9.05. And Forte, who won the tickets for Boo at the Zoo? Peter Massey. Excellent work, Peter. We've got more tickets to give away all week long on the start. And a reminder, in case you're just tuning in and missed it earlier, at 8.35, Greg, we're talking about something historic that happened with the Manitoba Bison. That's right. The first ever points uh, scored by a woman in University Sports. And it happened at IG Field. Manitoba Bisons win their homecoming game against the Regina Rams. We will speak to the individual who scored those game-winning points in overtime and the head coach of the University of Manitoba football team, Brian Dobie. In the meantime, enough talk, time for action. That's what we keep hearing when it comes to the issue of derelict buildings in Winnipeg. It feels, if not daily, then certainly weekly, we see some sort of building go up in smoke or flames, and then often it's a vacant building. So Global News Morning reporter Clay Young has made a trip down to one of the neighborhoods that's been dealing with this for years. He joins us from Maine and Magnus. Good morning, Clay. Hi, how are you? I'm good. What's going on down there? Well, right now I'm with uh, Daryl Warren, who is the uh, head of the William White Residents Association. Uh, we're just outside a house here, an abandoned house, in the 200 block of Magnus. 
And, uh, Daryl, thank you for inviting us out here. Thank you for coming. I want to say, you know, when we pulled up, there was a resident just down the street here, and he came out and he said, what's going on? And I explained what we're doing here this morning. He says, well, this house that we're standing, you and I are standing next to, used to be a crack house. Uh, you can confirm that, right? Yes. What do you call it? It's been a trouble house for many, many years, this house. What's gone on here? There was a fire just this past June, and it was quite chaotic. Yes, what do you call it? Apparently, there were some homeless people living in here. I guess started a fire, and the fire department responded, and uh, it was very chaotic here. Yeah. Uh, now, it, you know, it's not just this particular home here on Magnus, but it's this neighborhood in general. You're having a problem with abandoned buildings and and abandoned houses that let's let's uh, be frank they they are potential fire hazards they are and uh unfortunately a lot of these old houses are very close to one another and the potential of not only this particular house burning but the one next to it too and that's somebody's home like there, you can see there's somebody living next door to this house yeah and uh, you know of course there's the problem if a home like this becomes engulfed in flames. There's even a propane tank right in the backyard here, and there's some debris in the backyard, so there's another fire hazard. But it could easily, the flames could easily jump over to the to the house where there's people are. Yes, and the one thing we need to do is we need to get the city on board. We need to go ahead and get these properties cleaned up and plowed down or whatever has to be done but they shouldn't be allowed to stand as long as they're standing yeah are you worried uh before we uh, head back to the studio are you worried you know we're into fall now and a lot of these abandoned homes you know they they could be inviting for for people without shelter homeless people and you know they're trying to stay warm and then we could get more fires yeah, well, like we went to the back of this particular property. You can see a makeshift ladder back there already. So obviously somebody is using the ladder to climb onto the roof, get in the windows, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's already homeless people living in here again. Like right now? Yes, right yeah. now as we're out here. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much. Uh, back to you guys, unless there's something uh, you'd like to ask. Well, Clay, actually, could you ask Daryl, how frustrating is it to see these vacant buildings? Obviously, it was a good thing to move out whoever was in that home, and, and uh, you know, it was described as a, a crack house, and so it's not that any longer, but it, it, it's almost as bad being derelict and vacant. We have a housing shortage in this community. How frustrating is it to see all these empty homes that with a little TLC and some investment from either private entrepreneurs or, or government, these, these could be, these could be filled with life again and have, have people uh, living there, people that need a place to live. That's a, that's a really good point. Uh, Greg, you know, when we're looking at this house, like, it was damaged, but they've, they've cleaned it up and you know, this does not look like a bad home with, uh, with a little fixing up. It could be a lovely home, and does it frustrate you? You know, we've got a, a shortage of affordable housing. Little, little love and care. That could, this house could be backed up and running. A family could be in there. Yes, and and that's the thing we need to do. We need to take these houses, like as we know, there's a big shortage of housing, affordable housing. Why not fix places like this up and put families in here, and and turn these houses around so they're not having that shady past that they've had in the past. Yep, very good point. All right, guys, back to you. I know, Greg, that we talked about Habitat for Humanity and the role it plays. You know, it builds new homes often, but they also look to take homes often in the core, the north end, and uh, do something under the vacant building bylaw. And they've looked at homes, for example, last year on Alfred Street in William White, um, where Clay just was talking to us. And so if there's life in the property, they, they think about that. But it's also there's also some hoops they have to go through to make that happen. And so there's if you have 600 properties on average, being enforced under the vacant building bylaw, where can we take at least a percentage of those? What percentage of those actually are viable, decent homes that just need, as you say, a little TLC? Yeah, it just feels like a lack of priority for this issue. You've got hundreds of people 
uh, living on the street. You've got thousands of Manitobans living in inadequate shelter, shelter that maybe they cannot afford, that that still doesn't do all the things it's supposed to do, maybe with uh, subpar um, services within those homes. I just, I don't understand how on one hand we've got this shortage of shelter for people. And then one of our biggest liabilities in our community are structures that are empty. It just, it, it seems like a complete oxymoron to me, but maybe I shouldn't be surprised. What would you, what's your outlandish lottery dream? Like something just ridiculous, not necessarily ridiculous, but something that clearly you would never do otherwise. Like Roy, who says, I want to take all my friends on a golf getaway, somewhere like Ireland or Scotland. I can't think of anything better, says Roy. And then I go somewhere with my wife as well. But uh, yeah, like there's, I played a, a course called Old Head in Ireland, but I played it virtually. And it's oh. the kind of court. Yeah. And uh, it was great. It was actually probably better virtually because you can set the weather conditions. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, because, I think you'll get a lot of wind in uh, Ireland. Because this course, it's it's carved out on this amazing peninsula in the ocean with these gigantic cliff faces. So, yeah, the wind would be awful. But we played on a nice Sunday, not windy day. However, I'd love to play that course. But, yeah, to get there and to just play the course would cost thousands and thousands of dollars. So that is uh, a lottery dream for sure. So, Roy. I like that. That's pretty much what I would love to do is take my buddies on a really fancy golf getaway. So 204-780-6868 for your chance to win. We'll pick a winner at 915. Also a reminder that we have tickets to give away for air supply as well. We'll do that in our next segment because they're coming to Winnipeg on October 2nd at the Centennial Concert Hall. And a reminder that we have tickets to give away all week long for Boo at the Zoo. We gave away our first pair a little bit earlier this morning. In the meantime, producer Jeff Forte working on securing one of our two guests, but we can begin to tell you this story because University of Manitoba Bison's kicker, Maya Turner, had a day to remember on Saturday. Nailed it and kicked the game-winning That from inside the Bison dressing room on Saturday, Turner became the first woman to play and score in a regular season U Sports football game. And as you heard from Bison's head coach, Brian Dovey, he, uh, she kicked the game-winning field goal to lead the Bisons past the University of Regina Rams 27-24 at IG Field on homecoming weekend. The product of Maple Grove, Minnesota, made history with a 21-yard field goal at 9.48 of the second second quarter to record her first ever points then with the game tied 24 24 in overtime Turner kicked her second field goal of the game this time from 21 yards out to give the hustling herd the lead that they would ultimately secure to a victory Turner also converted all three of her extra point attempts to contribute a total of nine points in the game Loren so uh, I don't believe we have Maya Turner yet, do we? No, we don't have her okay. yet, unfortunately. But I think we might have the coach on the line. Yep. Okay, so we say we'll, we'll hopefully hear from Maya in a moment, but we say good morning to Brian Doby. How's it going, Brian? It's it's going really well. It's, good it's start. pretty good start it's pre- for the week. I was just going to say it's a pretty good start to the week, but but when we played that inside the dressing room audio from you and you acknowledging that moment from Maya, I mean you've been doing this for a long time. The, the history that was made over the weekend. Can we just get into that a bit? What did it mean to, for you to watch that after all these years of females maybe not being part of the sport? Absolutely. I, um, it, to be honest with you, uh, it was uh, somewhat overwhelming for me in, in that moment. The, uh, you know, we, we, were trying to, we were trying to win a game. And, uh, and we sent my own field goal. It, it was that part of it was we need to hit the field goal, you know? Um, and, and, I, but I won't lie to you as, as they, they lined up for it, you know, that, that moment just suddenly kind of erupted and, you know, emotionally. And, and I just felt, I felt for her. I knew the pressure she'd be going through. The pressure would be us uh, was so much different, so much different than it would have been for any other of our athletes, 
uh, and and uh, when she hit it, the the roar that came down from the crowd, the roar, it was, it, you know, I look back in the stands, the entire place was standing and going crazy, including including the the, the University of Regina fans. Um, it was uh, it was a great moment. Um, I, I I just need to say this. I you know I've been asked this question a lot. I'm sorry to just kind of pontificate here, but I. Um, you know, um, I think for all of us, you know, honestly, I can speak for all our coaches. I can speak for tons of people. Uh, you know, I'm the father of a daughter. Uh, I, I work with great women on our campus. I, 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 you know, I just, um, I think what Maya did is representative of, of just so many things that are beyond football. And, and that was the message after the game that I, I, in that moment, I, I wanted our players to really appreciate and understand the moment and the significance of it, um, and, I, and I think they do. I really think they do, and um, I think that is important as anything else in, in what's been accomplished. Well, let's say hello and good morning to Maya Turner joining us live on 680 CJOB. Maya, good morning to you. Hi, thanks for having me. So congratulations on this history-making moment. Did you realize that your first points would be a first for any woman in Canadian university sport? Thank you. Yeah, um, I didn't, or yeah, so I didn't know that um, if I scored, then it would be the first points um, that a woman has made. So yeah, I definitely did feel a bit of pressure, you know, just with the eyes watching, um, just to see if I would make my first field goal. So we have to ask you, uh, my, it's Greg Mackling here. How did someone who grew up in Maple Grove, Minnesota, I understand you played soccer for Loyola University in Chicago, end up kicking footballs at the University of Manitoba? Um, yeah, so... I had played soccer, you know, my entire life. Um, and I was always on, you know, really like high level team. That was really intense, um, you know, just like throughout my whole life on different club teams. And then, um, yeah, you know, I started to get burned out, um, at the end of high school and beginning of university. So I just, I just decided I needed to quit cause I was just, um, the best thing that I could do for myself at the time. And then, um, you know, I'd always wanted to try kicking footballs. You know, I always love the game of football. I love watching it. Um, and I, I was always really good at like ball striking with soccer. You know, I could always kick the ball really far and, um, would always take all the free kicks and stuff on my teams. And so, yeah, I'd wanted to try it. And so, um, yeah, you know, I, I joined a, a club football team at Loyola, um, and then after that, I found some kicking coaches. Um, and then when I went home for the winter, uh, one of my kicking coaches helped me a lot with the recruiting process, and um, I got a lot of film. And I, you know, I sent that out to a lot of different programs across the U.S. and then also in Canada and. Um, yeah, I uh, ended up reaching out to Coach Dolby and um, came to the U of M for a visit, and I just knew that that's where I wanted to be. Maya, I'm wondering, you know, along the way, I'd like to think in 2023 that there wouldn't be, you know, people having a second glance at a female playing on a football team, but perhaps that's not the case. Did you ever get any negative reactions towards your efforts to just be on the team with everyone else? Um, you know, I'd say when I was trying to get recruited, um, I felt a little bit of that, you know, I felt some people had doubts and, um, you know, just didn't think that I would be able to, you know, get on a football team, especially with the limited experience I did have, um, in games. But, you know, ever since I've gotten here, um, everyone here is just so supportive of me and appreciates me for the player I am and the athlete I am and um you know just treats me like any anyone else on the team so it's been really great since I've been here 
coach ever since I've been interviewing you and talking about sport and football, obviously in particular, you've had this philosophy of, of you know, not only growing uh, better football players, but really a, a better people at the end of the day. And, and your message uh, that you shared a little bit with us uh, from the locker room uh, on Saturday with regard to having, uh, you know, the boys, the men on your team understand that they would never, ever really face this pressure the the, the same way, uh, I think was important. You want to expand on that a little bit before we let you both run? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I really do. And uh, yeah, it, you know, I, I could I could use really really extreme analogies, uh, you know, and 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 certainly they would be extreme. But um, you know, I I think I always think about um, I don't know why I'm a big baseball fan. I always think about Jackie Robinson, you know, breaking breaking the you know the the color barrier uh, in baseball, and because it, it, you know so. So there's so many things I think in our society where barriers are broken, but I always think about that one, and and in in just a you know a, just a microcosm way uh, on Saturday of that that that's what that's what Maya faced because it, when she hit when she hit the field goal, the stadium erupted. I mean, erupted, and and everybody wanted her to hit it. And that's a great side, but but if Maya wasn't able to accomplish that, if she if she was to you know fail and fail, and there would be a lot of naysayers that would come up. That's the easy route for people. Well, you see, yeah, you know, good try. She's a girl, you know. Hey, she made it. Good try, you know. Pat on the head and 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 that whole patronizing thing, or worse. Um, so the pressure that she was under. Uh, was extreme. She's extremely professional. Uh, she is unbelievably professional and focused to what she does. And I, I know, no matter what she's saying to you, that her heart rate had to be a million miles an hour. Um, and and for her to, to to you know draw into herself and focus professionally on the task at hand, she was able to do that. She's an outstanding athlete. She's a very very high end academic student there's nothing missing with Maya and, uh, and I knew she was the right person. Um, I, I wanted our players to absolutely, we're not, we're not just there. We are there to win games. We are there for them to become the best that they can be, but we're not just there to teach X's and O's and, and put that onto the field. It's a university. It's part of their education process. And, and, and we're there to grow in every way, in every way. And, and, and I think what our players experienced was a moment in life um, where they saw um, a young woman who was their teammate, and they view her as a teammate, and they view her as our kicker, but they saw her have to face a challenge that none of them would face exact, in the exact same way. They, they couldn't experience that. Uh, only a woman could experience that in that environment. And, and they were through over the moon um, about that. I wanted them to... To not lose the moment, I wanted them to understand what it meant not just for Maya and our team, what it meant for for them as they move forward in their life with their with their family members, their sisters and their moms, their their girlfriends, their wives, their future daughters. Um, you know, just to appreciate it. Brian, I'd like to, if I just thank you for your comments and and just maybe get Maya's reaction to all that because Maya, uh, what it meant to you in that moment, but perhaps as as you look ahead, what it might mean to the future of the game and other women who might try. I'm guessing growing up, you didn't have a lot of female football players, you know, to idolize, and and now you might be one of them for the next generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously there has been some women who have played in football and and made their mark there, you know, Sarah Fuller, um, you know, on Vanderbilt kicking, and then um, Christy Elliott from SFU. And there have been some, and those are some women who have inspired me. And, um, you know, and I think, like, seeing other women do it just helps, like, reinforce the idea that it can be done. Um, and I think, yeah, just getting more women involved in high level football, um, and just seeing more exposure to that, I think does help other 
women and, and girls who want to play football, um, I think it makes it a more realistic goal for them. Well, Maya Turner, we say thank you very much for your time. Congratulations as well. We say thank you to Brian Doby, head coach of the Manitoba Bisons football team. Thank you and congratulations to both of you. And thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we've got journey tickets to give away. Just announced that show coming to Canada Life Centre on March 4th, 2024. And we're asking you, what's your outlandish lottery dream? Whether it's something that once upon a time you used to dream about, or maybe something current. One of our runners up here, Colin, with an interesting twist on having a sports facility in your home. Colin says, I'd build a new house, and next to it, I would build an indoor tennis slash pickleball court so that I could play all through the winter with my buddies and I would make a skywalk attached to the house as well so I would never have to walk outside. Ooh, I like that. Well well thought out, Colin. Yeah. Bravo. We're curious to know where you would build that. Would it be out of town like Therese who says my lottery dream would be to buy land in Cape Breton overlooking the Broadour Lakes. Commission the Timber Kings to build a log cabin with every convenience imaginable. Oh, I wonder if uh, Therese has connections there. Like, I often pick communities and look up houses for zero. Like, I've never been there before, but in my dreams, I will get there and own property. For example, the Seychelles. I probably once a month look up penthouses in the Seychelles. (laughs) Yeah, you're right, because Cape Breton is fairly specific. I'd love to visit that part but never did i think i'm going to i would like to buy land here That's and a build point. a log cabin yeah so maybe therese has some some roots there what does ed have to say ed says i would pay off my boys mortgages then write out big checks then take out family on a huge trip buy my dream that i always wanted to do and that's a hunting and fishing lodge. Okay. That's mm-hmm. awesome. I like that. I like this specific thought. They like this is all something that I think we know is like you're you're better off, you're better chance of getting struck by lightning. But we still it's fun to think about. It's fun to imagine and dream. Like uh here's another one, Greg, for uh, to kind of help a, a runner-up here for Assiniboine Park. Yeah, Roger says outlandish lottery spending. I love trains. So my dream would be to spend my lottery winnings on expanding the Assiniboine Park Steam Railroad into other areas of the park, the zoo being my top priority. Sounds like Roger's taking some time to really think about this. I dig I think, that. That's giving that back. I think that could work. And, and I actually feel like there's room and space to do that. And, and everyone, even when you go to, say, Tinkertown or when your kids were little, I wanted to get on the train. Yeah. You know? Like you're an adult and you're just, there's some, train, trains are magical. I know that, and that I've only been on that train once in Assiniboine Park, but it's cool. But Loren, Jeff P is our winner, and uh, due to the, I, I want to say the specifics here are quite outlandish. And, and and it took a turn that I wasn't expecting. So Jeff says, with a massive lottery win, I'd have fun and hold a contest open to all Canadians, asking for nominations for individuals that have and continue to perform good deeds in their communities. The top 100 people would win 500,000 each. So Jeff says that would take care of the first 50 million. I would use the next 5 million for my top 10 local charities. So that's Harvest Siloam, et cetera. 5 million would go to the Winnipeg Foundation with an award named after my favorite Sesame Street character, Mr. Snuffleupagus Award, <laughs> given annually to a kind, good hearted person who just needs a leg up in life. The residual I'd split with family and friends and spend the rest of my life living simply, enjoying my hobbies my friends, and families. Have a great day, Jeff. Down to the penny. He's got it figured out. <laughs> oh, bird. <laughs> well done, Jeff. Well done. I'd be curious to know if the specifics are would be altered depending on the size of the jackpot. Like, let's say it was $58 million. Would it then be $40 million go to the charities mm. so that there's still a little bit of room at the end? Mm, yeah. I don't Maybe. know. But either way, that's still a lot and very generous. And anything, the fact that Snuffleupagus exactly. made its way into this text message wins the day. Going to see Journey, Jeff. Next March, 2024, Canada Life Center. We've got tickets to give away all week long. And we did give away tickets for air supply last half hour. Jeff Forte, do you happen to have the name of that winner? I sure do. Lisa Watson. Congratulations, Lisa. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this music gets played 
in a very special occasion, Greg, for a special guest. Who's with us right now? Our good friend Julian Pelicano joining us now. WSO, RWB. He's the music maker. Who is this, Julian? Tito Puente, Palante. Thank you, guys. So awesome to be here again. Is this year not the 100th anniversary of Tito Fuente's birth? Is it? I, I believe there's a special. I was thinking about you just the other day. I was driving around. I had my serious uh, satellite radio on. I was listening to, to something else. And they've got a channel celebrating the life. And I believe it's the 100th birthday. April 20th, 1923. There you go. There right. it is, 100 years. I mean, he's a legend, so we should celebrate. You're a legend. <laughs> but so is so is the story of Snow White. Yes. Talk about how RWB is capturing one of the great Disney stories of all time and bringing it to the stage. Okay, well, first of all, let me start out by saying this is a major, major, major production uh, that the RWB is bringing here uh, to Winnipeg. It is a Canadian premiere. Uh, by the choreographer Angeline Preliocage. Preliocage, if you if you know that name or not, it doesn't matter, but he is an absolute genius, a huge, very important choreographer in France. And uh, we have hooked up with him and brought this production, which is one of his iconic productions, here to Canada for the very first time. It's huge. And, you know, most people will know Snow White from the Disney story. Uh, in fact, it is originally, it's a very, very old story, and it was first written down by the Brothers Grimm, maybe, I think it was about 200 years ago. And so there's no uh, hi-ho, hi-ho, off to work we go in this <laughs> ballet. This is the original story. And so since it's kind of medieval times, uh, it comes from a medieval period, and it's written down you know, by the Brothers Grimm eventually, let's just say it's a little dark. Okay, I'm just going to say that. So it doesn't really have the Disney uh, the Disney sensibility to it, but what a production. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. It's impressive and uh, and it's touching, right? And it it hits it hits so many different emotional um, marks uh, for me uh, having worked on it. So I, I I couldn't be more happy to bring this to Winnipeg. I'm looking at some of the images of the production and the video and man, like Snow White, the instantly am taken back to the feelings I had as a kid of what I felt about her and her possibility for evilness. But then you talk about this being going to the original Julian and, and the darkness of it. So does that mean maybe this is more of an adult production or would you recommend it for kids at some point along the way? Well, I think I, I wouldn't say it's it's a fully adult production. I, I certainly think that kids uh, could appreciate it. Maybe not small kids. Uh, you know, my uh, my thirteen year old daughter will come, and uh, my nine year old daughter will come. But maybe it's a little bit on the the edge for a nine year old. So you have to know your own kid. Um, but yeah, it's definitely uh, not supposed to be uh, like a, like a Disney movie for kids. But um, but then again, I mean, um, there's, I don't think there's anything in there that's necessarily too, too uh, uh, violent or risque. But uh, it's just a dark and dark version of it, and it's a serious story. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the costumes are incredible. They're by Jean-Paul Gaultier, and um, the sets, the lighting, um, it's it's extraordinary. Well, I'm just looking at the costume right now for the narcissistic, seductive queen, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, it's maybe not for the the smallest. Maybe of not children. for the small kids. All right, let's just say yeah. very seductive. But that, that was the first thing that popped out to me was just how lavish it is. And I think that when as when the first time I went to the ballet, I just had an image in my head of it's just people on stage dancing like extraordinarily. But I wasn't expecting sets, costumes. And uh, it was it was pretty mind blowing at what you're able to accomplish with all that stuff, and still put on these amazing displays of dancing and music. Yeah, I mean it's truly theater. It's all about storytelling. That's what dancers uh, love. You know, of course they love da to dance the the actual physicality of it, but there's a poetry to it as well. I mean. Think about it. You have an art form where it's a poetry of movement. I mean, what does that exactly mean? Are we exposed to that in everyday life? I don't know. Maybe we are. You could make the argument that everything has a certain poetry to it. But this is a staged production where for, you know, an hour or two, you 
get to just think about how movement can be poetry. I mean, what it takes, it 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 really um, goes deep into your into your creativity as an audience member as well, and it brings out feelings and thoughts that maybe we don't have every day as we go through our lives, right? Yeah, uh, no doubt. So th- you add to that power of suggestion, that storytelling of dance and the the wizardry, really, of these athletes on stage. And then you compound that with the WSO performance. And let me, like, how... That, that's got to be overwhelming emotionally uh, at, at several times in the performance. Well, sure. I mean, we, I, I think I, I, I try to point this out as many times as I can, but uh, here in Winnipeg, we are um, exposed to one of the only, one of the few places in Canada where you can actually see a ballet with a live orchestra. Yes. So the National Ballet in Toronto, uh, Le Grand Ballet uh, Canadien in Montreal and the Royal Winnipeg Ballet here in Winnipeg are the three companies in Canada that regularly work with a live orchestra. And so, uh, sorry, f- Julian, do you mean then that there are ballets that are put on with with like a track or a? That's music? right. Yes. Wow, that's I didn't right. know that. Yeah, huh. that's right. The, the, many ballet companies will perform uh, just to recordings. In fact, this production because. Uh, the choreographer, Angelin Preliocage, uh, his company in France is a touring company. Often they'll tour around the world to theaters where maybe there is not an orchestra and they will dance to a track. Even when the RWB goes on tour, sometimes they bring me along and I'll get to conduct an orchestra in whatever city we're in, whether it be Ottawa or Victoria or wherever. Uh, but if the theater is not big enough or the city doesn't have an orchestra, they will dance to a track. Now, do the dancers prefer dancing to a live orchestra or a track? I think I can safely say, having talked to many, many dancers over the years, that they prefer to dance to a live orchestra. This is the way that the art form is uh, is conceived uh, in, in certain kinds of music. If you're doing something very, very modern, it's all electronic music or something, of course you can't have an orchestra. That's not appropriate. But for a ballet like this or a ballet like... Uh, like Sleeping Beauty or uh, Swan Lake or or any of our most of our productions are built upon the foundation of a live orchestra in the pit with a live conductor watching the dancers communicating with the dancers visually and uh, and really it's a it's a communi- it's a it's a conversation between myself and the orchestra and the dancers on stage and it's different every night it's not exactly the same every night that is what makes it theater. Does it get claustrophobic down in that pit? Because normally, you, you, as a, if you're performing as the symp- it's a symphony show, you'd be on the stage. Yeah. But when you're performing with the ballet, you're in that pit that's below the stage. Um, yeah, I mean, it can get pretty tight, especially for this uh, production, which is a fairly large orchestra. The music is by uh, is by uh, the composer Gustav Mahler. This is a composer originally uh, born in uh, Bohemia at that time, so it would be... Uh, I guess it would be a Czech Republic now, but um, but uh, working in Austria, one of the greatest uh, conductors of the early part of the 20th century, probably the most famous conductor at that point, but also a composer. His works were uh, came to prominence in the later part of the 20th century, and he was known for writing massive symphonies, super long pieces of music with huge orchestras, and that all of the music for this. Ballet is derived from the symphonies of Gustav Mahler, which themselves have a certain darkness to them, which is why they were chosen for this particular story. And it's all about the storytelling, really. You can get more information at rwb.org. So the first show, you've got five shows starting Thursday? Uh, we got four shows. Four shows, pardon me. Thursday, Friday, Saturday at 7.30, and then Sunday at 2 p.m. Okay. And so again, rwb.org for Snow White, the Canadian premiere. And uh, yeah, the costumes, just like the video that on this website looks spectacular. Before you go, uh, Julian, this morning we've been talking about like outlandish lottery fantasies with this $68 million jackpot that's set to go on Wednesday. And I... I I'm glad you're here because honestly, this is something that I think about quite often because we had the opportunity to co-host some shows with you yeah. at the symphony. We did the Star Wars versus Star Trek and then uh, Jeff and I co-hosted the Superhero Showdown. And if I, because I know it's expensive for you to get the rights for some of that stuff. Uh-huh. 
So I would just be like, okay, Julian, I got an idea for a show. I want to hear this piece of music with the movie scene in the background and that piece of music because I know it would probably cost too much. But if I could say, here you go, make it happen, is that something you'd be interested in? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, call up a 20th Century Fox, and uh, I'm sure if you throw enough money at them, they'll let you play whatever you want on the stage. Julian, I would like uh, the orchestra to play all the songs from the soundtrack to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> 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 we watch a movie in an appropriate uh, location and do the appropriate... Uh, anyway, uh, the, talking about money, we got to run here, but um, James Cohen and Linda... Uh, McGarva Cohen have really stepped up here to make this uh, season possible with RWB. Like we've we've got some incredibly gen- generous Winnipeggers who make sure every single year RWB WSO are on the stage. Yes, that's right. Um, and it's uh, we're all both of those organizations, and I can probably speak for all the arts organizations in Winnipeg are so grateful for uh, the people that do step up because uh, an art form, all art forms are there are for the public, they're there for public consumption, but the fact remains that, um, that going back throughout history, ballet companies and symphony orchestras, etc., um, have always been supported in some way as a, as a part of public service, as a part of bringing an art form to, to the wider people. And really... Uh, the goal of the RWB and the WSO is to bring these art forms to as many people as possible. It should not be an elite art form. It should be there at a price that every, that everybody can appreciate and everyone can be exposed to. Because if, you, if you're not able to be exposed to it, then how do you even know what it is? And so it's through these generous donations that we are able to do that and, um, and to continue uh, our mission. RWB.org. If you've never been to the ballet, it looks like Snow White is the show. You should check out Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday afternoon. And Julian Pelicano is the principal conductor of Canada's Royal Winnipeg Ballet and associate conductor of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Julian, always a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me on. Appreciate it. 948, we'll check in with Hal right after we check your forecast on the start. (laughs) 